All right, Mickey here with an advert for BetterHelp Therapy Online. You all right? Such a small question and sometimes such a big question too, eh? Now, regular listeners will know I am no stranger to depression and while over time and with the help of some decent counselling and brilliant friends and family, I've established a toolkit to help when the constantly dripping tap of life gets a bit too much. That does not mean I am a stress-free human rainbow skipping through meadows. I mean, who is? We all carry around different stresses, big and small, and sometimes we can deal, and sometimes it's much harder to cope. Life, innit? Right now, I have a teenage puppy to deal with, and although I love her very, very much, she can be a lot. There, said it. And as quick a fix as it seems to say, I'm fine, I'm fine, and push it all down into the big inside box and put that lid on. For me, that hasn't been a great long-term solution in that if I don't get it off my chest, it will at some point come bubbling up and it's never been one to pick its moments in a good way. I find talking means I can avoid it exploding out of me like a messy emotional volcano all over my nana's carpet. Also, during my various times in talk therapy, I discovered that saying something out loud or writing it down can make it seem much more manageable than allowing it to swirl around and grow ever bigger in my head. If you're thinking of starting therapy, Give BetterHelp a try. I've found knowing how to reach out is sometimes the toughest bit, but BetterHelp is entirely online. Boom. Which means it couldn't be easier. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist, then work your sessions around your schedule. With more than a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Standard issue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash standard. That's betterhelp.com slash standard. There were three ordinary women on what seemed like a simple mission to find a film they liked. One where women got something to do and not just look pretty or be murdered. Which, to be totally honest has complicated matters a bit. Welcome to Flicking. Yes, it sounds a bit rude. That's the joke. Welcome to September's episode of Flicking, our monthly film bants, chats, dissection. This month it is Hannah Dunleavy's pick. Hannah, you picked Almost Famous. I did. Cameron Crowe's best film. Don't at me. (laughs) <laughs> what, what other options are available uh jerry Maguire, i would oh, say is probably quite yeah. a popular option uh, maybe yeah. say anything it's also got quite the fan base but anyway almost famous semi-autobiographical tale of crow's own early days as a music reporter and generally regarded as a love letter to music plot summary for those who haven't seen it although i'm guessing everybody listening has it's 1973, and 15-year-old William Miller, played by Patrick Fugit, lives in San Diego with his widowed mother, Elaine. She's played by Frances McDormand, and she's a seemingly liberal lecturer that's got a pretty conservative parenting style. His older sister, Anita, who's played by Zoe Deschanel, sees herself as a rebel, but is actually pretty conventional. She leaves home, but not before giving William her record collection, transforming his life ambitions. His hopes of becoming a music journalist get a boost when he meets Philip Seymour Hoffman, a.k.a. Lester Bangs, 
a critic who appears to be simultaneously at the zenith and the nadir of his life. <laughs> and if you're seeing a pattern developing here, well done. Because for me, if Almost Famous has a message, it's this. How the world sees us or how we want the world to see us is often pretty far from who we actually are. This gains extra significance when William gets a commission from Rolling Stone and boards the bus of mid-level band Stillwater as they embark on a US tour, along with an entourage of teenage groupies. And I'm sure we'll talk about this in a bit, but for my money, it handles what could be an absolute clusterfuck pretty deftly. No one is showing William their real face and it is left to the viewer to judge the morality of it all. For what it's worth, and again, I'm sure we'll get to this, yes, Billy Crudup's lead guitarist is smoking hot and talented and charismatic, but if you come away from this film thinking Russell Hammond is anything other than a self-serving, manipulative prick, you probably need to watch it again. It seems right then that Almost Famous' two best scenes are one that contain brutal honesty. The first is the mid-air meltdown, which manages to be very funny even as they verbally tear lumps out of each other. The second is the teary late-night phone call William makes to his mentor, which isn't just Philip Seymour Hoffman's best scene in this film. I think it's probably his best scene in anything ever. Bold. Yeah, it's a bold statement. So, Jen, Yosra, is there anything I've said so far that you would like to disagree with? Have you seen it before? Might be a good starting point. I hadn't, actually. I've heard a lot about this film. I've heard a lot about it. It's, you know, amongst my friends, I think... It's one of several of their favourite films. So I, I, I was looking forward to finally actually sitting down to watch it. Um, my expectations were super, super high, I've got to admit. And they were, I think for the most part, they, they were met. I mean, I love, I love, love a coming of age film. I don't know why, but most of my favourite films tend to be coming of age films. And this, this one mixed with the sort of rock and roll music lifestyle, but all this about friendship, about love. There's so much that comes into it. I think it's, it's really well written. And I, I, I wasn't sure at first when at the first half hour or so, I wasn't sure, but I really did get wrapped up in the story to the point where at the end I was quite, it was quite heartwarming. A little smile, a little tear on my face. So yeah, I think I think it's uh, it was. It, I'm glad I finally sat down to watch it. Hooray, Jen! Had you seen it before? Yeah, I have. I've seen. I think I saw it when I was at university, which would have been sort of fairly close to the time that it was released. I think my flatmate had it on DVD. I can't remember how I felt about it at the time, so I possibly wasn't like bowled over by it. I thought it was interesting watching it again now. It seems like the, the, the stuff of all the girls, I, again, I'm sure we'll come on to this properly in a minute, but the stuff of all the girls felt very different watching it as an adult to it did when I watched it as like, I don't know what I would have been like, 20, 21, 19, something like that. And I think I felt quite differently about the band members and particularly Russell did not come out of it as well in my estimations this time. But isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Because that's kind of the point. When all of this stuff started to happen with Me Too, and, you know, there's been conversations about John Peel, about David Bowie, yeah. about all sorts of people and, you know, people that they were sleeping with that they really shouldn't have been sleeping with. I mean, like, Bill Wyman publicly had a 13-year-old girlfriend. I mean, it's incredible. And yet, at the time, I read several things, and I've read Pamela DeBarry's I'm With The Band, and at no point did those girls believe that they didn't have agency when they were making those decisions. And it's 
only looking back as an adult that you think, okay, maybe I made a choice, which was to make myself available. It didn't mean that the people that were taking advantage of that weren't massively taking advantage of that. So actually, age, I mean, perspective on Almost Famous is really interesting because I think at the time, had I watched it at 2021, I probably would have thought, well, Russell is a prick, but I would still sleep with him. Whereas now, as an older person, you would think, what? Like, no, why would you? Exactly. Yeah, no, I definitely thought he was smoking hot when I watched it as as a ute. And now I'm just a bit like, oh, you're really gross, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah very repelled by him. Not a fan. Yeah. Yours, right? your thoughts on a post-Me Too look at groupies. Well, this clearly wasn't made, but it, we have a, a post-Me Too eye now, don't we? Yeah, and I, it's it's interesting because this is the first time I'd seen it. It, it was it was quite weird for me to watch it, and it's very much accepted the way that these women are and how they're kind of treated, and they're just seen as groupies. And I, I do think there are bits of the film where it is questioned. Particularly well, William doesn't like we, it. William yeah. doesn't like it. There's that whole bit where um, he gets the, the plane scene. You've already mentioned it, mm. where he t- where he um, talks about Kate Hudson's character. And I think if it didn't have that dynamic, I would be a bit more questioning on how these groupies are portrayed. But I, I do think there is a little bit of a, a, a more critical lens than what, in the first ten minutes what I thought it would be like. So mm. that's not to say it's perfect. I mean, it is <laughs> very much you know. They are talking about groupies. There are women there who are being treated pretty awfully by most of the characters. But I do think it's 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 interesting to see it. Because when was the film released? Was it 2000? 2000. 2000. I mean, it's set in 1973, which is worth mentioning. Yeah. Because uh, uh, although, like, it William was a different is... Quite, time. It, well, I, but that's it. And um, by that, I mean, <laughs> Paul Wyman was allowed to take his girlfriend yeah. on television, like, age mm. 13. So... Like it was, I mean, it doesn't mean it was acceptable, but it means that it was kind of weirdly tolerated. But the interesting thing is, yeah, yeah. Well, I think you're right, Hannah. I think it was dealt with quite well because he is gross, but he's obviously meant to be gross. It's that I don't think they're saying this is cool because you're right. Like mm. William is kind of like the moral, he's like the conscience of the story, really, isn't he? Mm. Yeah, I think in many ways it would appear that William almost like William wouldn't have called it out, that you would say, like, no 15-year-old boy would call it out, except that he is very clearly being raised by a feminist, which is the point being made at the start of it. Everyone talks about Kate Hudson, but I absolutely loved Frances McDormand mm-hmm. in this film. She's probably my favourite thing about Yeah, they were, they were both nominated for an Oscar for this, yeah. both Kate Hudson, and mm-hmm. the thinking is that they are the reason, each other was the reason that the other one didn't win it. Because quite often when you have two people in the Split same the film, votes. it splits the votes. Yeah. 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 Who won it instantly? It was Marcia Gay Harden that won the award for hmm. Pollock. That was a film yeah, I anyway. have absolutely no memory yeah. of. Oh, in no way, in no way as good as Frances McDormand. Frances McDormand, when she when she has that phone call with Russell Hammond and she absolutely destroys his entire being in one yeah. phone call, it's amazing genuinely amazing you are a very much a francis mcdormand enthusiast aren't you hannah yeah yeah I, yeah i mean maybe even groupie who knows <laughs> <laughs> some fun facts just mm-hmm. in case anybody's interested lester bangs a real person but is that his real name the real person yeah he he is a real per- he was a real person he was a real critic he was the editor of cream magazine also ben fontores a real person editor of rolling stone magazine everybody else is based on people but obviously nobody else in it is real penny lane 
Kate Hudson's character is allegedly based on Liv Tyler's mum. Yeah, BB. I can't remember what her surname is, but she is Liv Tyler's mum. Yeah. I wonder how you feel about, because I think what it does sum up really well is actually that thing when you are a teenager, how you become obsessed, how you do become utterly obsessed with things as a teenager and how like you just, oh, I love it. And love is such an odd word. Do you know what I mean? But how how sort of all-encompassing it is and how weirdly mysterious fame is at that age. I think it really does sort of sum up the sort of co-magic of that. Yeah, I was really into, I mean, I aren't all teenagers, I don't know, but I was like mad into, well, no, maybe not, but like I was a big boy band fan as a teenager. I had a kind of like weird, because my brothers all listened to like rock music and indie and grunge and whatever, so I listened to that, but then I was also listening to like Take That, Boyzone, whatever. And I do remember like feelings of this is quite embarrassing to be honest but you know feelings of actual like genuine kind of like yearning do you know what I mean like (laughs) real like but which one oh which one did I like I liked I'm disgusted by this now because obviously it's the wrong one (laughs) Mark Owen was the one that I really fancied but I was quite young then to be fair and he looks most like a little girl doesn't he so like that's probably why (laughs) and then I think with Boyzone it was Shane who was like a bit rough and interesting yeah i obviously you know progressed yasra did you have a favorite member of take that one on <laughs> I, did, I, I, I didn't uh, my which boy bands were i really into i back you're a bit younger boy, than me and think blue for, for uk boy bands so they they were you know i went to i had all their albums went to as many concerts as i could and thinking about the film actually it's quite interesting because obviously william has all these obsessions and um, he gets to live the dream. He gets yeah. taken with a band to go on a tour. What you would have quite, done it, to be I on mean, Lee Ryan's tour bus, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if that was me, I mean, and he doesn't get—he doesn't really get sucked into the lifestyle with it. He's, you know, he—he's—he's he's on this adventure with them, but he's quite well behaved and stuff. And I'm just thinking, God, if that was me at 15 years old, I'd be, I think—I was a weakling. <laughs> I would have done like whatever. It's just, but it's just. It's, I just like how that's portrayed. You know, teenagers do have these obsessions and he gets the chance to, to be part of the lifestyle that he's obsessed with. Well, that's really interesting because the, there was some criticism at the time because obviously this is based largely on actual experiences that Cameron Crowe had. Yeah. And there was a lot of criticism of people saying it didn't show enough sex and drugs and i'm well i would argue that yeah in having lesser drugs in it i mean there are drugs in it but not as much it kind of really hammers home this point that music itself is the drug that yeah they are into that is their thing and yes there is like was loads of drugs in in this but i I don't think it 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 lacks that to be honest and they probably did it for i imagine a you know subtlety or whatever but also i imagine probably a little bit for the certificate right they probably wanted more people and younger people to be able to watch it i guess there's very obviously suggestion of sex there's very obviously suggestion of drugs yeah yeah I, I think of it like we don't need to see a full-on sex scene to know that there was no. that was what was happening, or we don't need to see people sniffing coke off a table to see that that was happening. Like I don't know, it just doesn't seem to be necessary to make it explicit. And I quite like that the film didn't need to be mm. explicit with that. That's quite interesting. It hadn't really occurred to me, but they do sort of. I think they sort of tread that line 
No pun intended. Like quite carefully and, and quite sensibly actually because yeah mm. I totally agree it's, it's all there and I kind of think that's a nice film for teenagers to be able to watch you're going to relate to it aren't you it's funny you should say that last year I watched Almost Famous with my nephew and it immediately became his favourite film and I wouldn't have done that I probably would have watched it if it had drugs in it I wouldn't have watched it with him if it had sex in it because yeah. that just would have been a bit weird awkward yeah it does have like an absolutely incredibly broad cast yeah. I mean, just dozens and dozens of people in this, a lot of whom were sort of on the verge of almost famous themselves, a lot of whom were newcomers. Obviously, I mean, I think at the time, Frances McDormand and Anna Paquin were probably the most famous people yeah. in it. Kate Hudson is really, really good in this. It makes me wonder why Kate Hudson's career went the way it did. I guess She's she was... brilliant in it. Just typecast, right? But she's not been typecast as this. She immediately just fell into... She got typecast as her mum, basically, didn't she? She fell into rom-coms and never really escaped them. I guess that's just those are the roles they were making for women of her age at that time. If you think about that sort of time... I mean, there were loads of rom-coms were massive. They still are, but they were absolutely massive in the noughties. They were just churning them out all the time. Who else? Like Jennifer Garner massive mm. like and and she's way better than that i think isn't she she's been in more interesting things later on in her career but did Kate Hudson really ever get out of that kind of rom-com cycle because that's all i ever knew her from she she actually surprised me and almost famous because she was so good in it and the last thing i saw her in was bride wars with with anne hathaway which how um... old is that that's the long i don't <laughs> think she's done the... anything for a while has she i think she's making her fabletics clothes but, I mean, this is probably literally her first film. I mean, yeah. it's certainly the first film she was in any prominence. So it's odd that, that they just immediately went, I know what we can do. We can just give her every single rom-com. I would have thought there was there was more to her than that. But go back to the cast thing. I mean, Jason Lee is absolutely cracking in this. Who else? Noah Taylor is great in this. Fazera Bulk. I mean, it is a really, really broad bench when it comes to the cast. Zoe Dashanil has not a huge amount to do, but she just does the most glorious thing. When Russell turns up at the house at the end and he doesn't know whose house he's in, and he says, is she here? And Francis McDormand says, what's well, Anita? And Zoe Dashanil does this <laughs> funny Zoe. little yeah. curtsy thing. <laughs> it's, so, it's genuinely so funny. The tiny touches in this, where they have that massive row about the T-shirt and they all storm out of the room and William goes back in to get the t-shirt and he puts it in his bag because he's just like a he's just a fan it's really sweet yeah so the last thing i made the bold statement on was philip seymour hoffman who is just phenomenally good in this are we agreed yes yeah yeah absolutely but he's to me he's good in everything yeah Mm. that scene did the rounds a lot when he died on social media that scene of him talking to william on the phone saying the only the only true currency in this bankrupt world is the thing that two people share when they are uncool. That is, I love that line, actually. And I think that is a great scene. And I, I do think, I mean, he's he's just brilliant at everything I've ever seen him in. So I, I was not surprised that he was really good in this film. But the, I mean, the whole cast, like you say, it's a, it's a, a wonderful cast and gets really good performances out of all of them. I'm not, I, I, there's some of, I'm not really sure what else some of them have done since then, but it's quite interesting. You know, is that one of the first films that's, Zoe Deschanel did, for example, because I've 
know her from things like New Girl now, and it's quite interesting mm. seeing these these early things that they. And I think Jimmy Fallon appears. Yeah. As well. <laughs> I didn't even realise at first. Um, it was only after watching her, I was like, oh, that Jimmy Fallon. Okay, it's a brilliant cast, and Philip Seymour Hoffman is is brilliant. Uh, I did say it was a bold statement that you made. Yeah. He said it's the best thing he's ever done, but I do think he he's he's really good at it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I agree. He is terrific, or he was terrific in absolutely everything. Uh, but yeah, I think he's really cracking here. I mean, he does. It is really funny. I feel like we haven't talked enough about, or I think it's really funny. But the only thing I would say, and it's the thing that annoys me a little bit in this, is that Cameron Crowe goes to the historical irony well. I think of one or two times too many in this. Well, and what I mean by that is the, do you think the Rolling Stones are still going to be oh, like, yeah. doing this when they're uh, 50? Uh, and also, wink, wink. yeah, also the, the thing about come and use the facts. It's this crazy machine from the future that, that can send, uh, it only takes 20 minutes to send one page. That, what well, he didn't call it a fax, but that clearly what it was. A mojo. Early. A mojo. Yes. Mm. Of course it would be called that. I bet even if it wasn't called that, Rolling Stone would have called it that in the office. I, I didn't pick up on too many of those. I did. The Rolling Stones thing was a, a bit of a clangor. I was a bit like, okay. <laughs> Maybe that's just because that would have been quite funny in 2000, but in 2021, it's... <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. One of the things that really struck me about the film that I think I, re- I really like about it is it is a bit of a... Well, I felt like it was a bit of a feel-good film, mm. but without being overly saccharine yeah. about it. it. There's something really authentic about it, and I think that's one of the things that Cameron Crowe gets really right with the writing and with the performances, is that it just everybody is quite believable, even in this sort of unbelievable situation of a 15-year-old actually getting to go on tour with a band across America. There's something really authentic about it, and I think that's why a lot of people put it as one of their one of their favourite films. And it, and it still works, you know, watching it with a modern eye in 2021, mm. for the most part, it does still work on that level. It's also a, a mash-up of pleasing genres. Like, it's the coming-of-age yeah. film. It's also a road movie. Um, it's also, like, a, a, a music biopic so it has those it's not a music biopic but obviously it's a fictional one so it has those touches that you know that this is spinal tap and Mm. some the the documentary about metallica some kind of monster which is absolutely hilarious it really gets that sort of pricks the bubble and makes you realize just how fucking stupid and ultimately pointless loads of it is and you sort of create this idea that what is fame is fame actually worth etc etc i think it it does that really well even despite the fact that william genuinely has like rose tinted spectacles on for a lot of this you would have rose tinted spectacles a little bit i think i think i would if i was if i was in the same position yeah i totally i totally agree with you i think that you almost i think you almost don't realize you're watching a feel-good film because it is actually quite i don't know i feel like it was enough bleak for me to be like I don't know, sort of challenged by it, I guess. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Mm. I don't think it is just straight up feel good. There's obviously like, you know, some moral stuff going on there. But yeah, spoiler alert, it all comes good in the end. It has some excellent music picks. Some some of the music picks in it are fantastic. I mean, isn't she lovely while she's having her stomach pumped? It's just an absolutely like just brilliant choice. As is Tiny Dancer when they are singing on the bus. I mean, how can it oh. not be a film good film, Jen? It has a bus sing along. Bus sing along. Who doesn't love a bus sing along? Exactly. Do you want one more fun fact? Yes, please. 
Okay, so obviously they're not playing their instruments in this. Oh, actually, Kozilak might be playing his because he is actually a musician. But uh, Russell Hammond, also adding to his call enormously, is being played in the music by Pearl Jam's Mike McCready. Is he? Mm. That is a fun fact. Thank you. Fun fact, yeah. <laughs> Pearl Jam, that's who I would have been standing outside the door trying to get in for. I liked that's them a as well. Story. He was handsome, wasn't he? Eddie Vedder. Yeah, he was handsome, I think, in a grungy sort of way. Yeah. He got sort of smiling us like we... Who is he? <laughs> um... Who are you talking about? I know he's held down, I just don't know all the individuals. He has. He probably had like a a, a checked shirt on and long yeah. hair, which is really all you need to know, isn't it? Sold. <laughs> okay, so I, I think we can consider almost famous a success. Yep. Yes, great. So we'll be back next month, and due to a misunderstanding on the schedule, we're not entirely sure who's supposed to be picking. <laughs> we think it might be Yosra, but this is a developing story. And we will tell you more when we know. Thanks very much for joining us, Hannah, and your wonderful book and resident film buff, Yosra Osman. Thank you very much. Standard issue for all women.